Crossover Appeal is a show that will sometimes have spoilers, but the hosts promise not to be jerks about it. Also, from time to time, Walt and Annie may get small details about the things they discuss incorrect, and they would like you to know that every time it happens, it is done on purpose to spite you specifically. Enjoy the show! everybody, and welcome to Crossover Appeal. I'm Walt McGough. I'm Annie Carty. Hi, Annie. Hi, Walt. Annie, what do we do on Crossover Appeal? On Crossover Appeal, we take two fan identity things, fandoms. <laughs> yeah, fandoms. As it were. Um, push those worlds together. You know what we should call our recording what? studio? What? The Fandome. What? Yeah. It's, um, I'm imagining it like the Get Smart um cone of silence oh yeah that just gets layered yeah lowered down yeah, yeah. absolutely it's, that's what happens yeah it's canon we're just gonna install that in the ceiling and there is a canon in the fandom wow it <laughs> seems unnecessary well you know you never know when another podcast is, is gonna it, try to nose well, in on our it, turf is it a canon or like a t-shirt canon can we like why not both <laughs> wow. depends on whether the people outside are like violent raiders or just people who want to tell us that we're doing a good job i mean could we or ha- violent raiders shoot- who want to tell us we're doing could, a good job. Could we still shoot T-shirts at them, but like light them on fire or something? Yeah. Okay, there you go. Oh, yeah. We'll want to maximize our defenses in every way possible yeah. when, the, when the raiders come. Yeah, and then branding. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Um, well, Annie, uh, what T-shirts are we loading into our various cannons and firing out into the world tonight? We are putting the the fan cannon T-shirts <laughs> into the fan cannon for... <laughs> Uh, Wicked and the Big Lebowski. Now we're going to need like an opening animation of the fandom firing things yes. off. Once we get fans, they sure will make fan art. Absolutely. All over the place. I'm going to take over that Tumblr. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't we storm into Tumblr with uh, you telling us a little bit about Wicked. Um, so Wicked is a Broadway musical about the backstory of the Wicked Witch of the West um, with musical and lyrics by Stephen Schwartz and book by Winnie Holzman. Um, It opened in San Francisco in June of 2003 before moving to Broadway that fall. Uh, The show went on to be nominated for 10 Tony Awards, including a win for Idina Menzel, who originated the role of Elphaba, a.k.a. the Wicked Witch, on Broadway. She's great. She is great. And, like, she's someone who basically... Now you can follow her entire career through your life. Like you can start off with Frozen, yeah. move into Wicked, go see Ren. Yeah, we then were get like, into like the real Dina Menzel deep cuts. Yeah, of- well, I, f- I feel like we grew up at right just the right time to like follow Dina Menzel's career because like yeah. we were in high school when Rent came out. Yeah, and then like we were in college when Wicked came yeah. out, and then like so many people are having babies, and then yeah. Frozen's coming out. So, yeah, you know. or you can be an adult and go see Frozen, which is what I did. That's true. I just went in and had a great time. No shame. No shame. That's it's a no great movie. Adina Menzel is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so she's great, and so is Wicked. Um, it's very loosely adopted from the novel by Gregory McGuire, but for the purposes of this podcast, we're just focusing on the musical itself. Yeah, because they're they're very different plot wise, mm-hmm. so it would be impossible to talk about like both of them. Indeed. Um, So the story follows Elphaba, a young woman bored with green skin in the land of Oz. Elphaba is the daughter of the governor of Munchkinland, but it's implied that he's not her real father. Uh Uh-oh. Elphaba's only sister, Nessa Rose, um, uses a wheelchair and is her father's favorite. um, And their father insists that Elphaba Elphaba look after Nessa. So lots of family drama. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the girls go to Shizzy University where they meet popular Galinda and where Elphaba reveals her capacity for magic. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, Shiz's headmistress, Madame Morrible, wants to teach Elphaba about magic and tells her that she'll go far, like maybe working with the Wizard of Oz. The, the so wonderful fancy. Wizard of Oz? The wonderful Wizard of Oz. Man. Who's totally not a jerkwad. No, absolutely. Or secretly. a big floating head illusion. Yeah, right. Um, so Elphaba wants to focus on her studies, like really, you know, super ambitious, mm-hmm. um, while also having to deal with Galinda as her roommate. Elphaba's favorite professor, who's an anthropomorphic goat, warns her about animal discrimination in Oz. Oh. So, like, there's some real bad stuff going on for, yeah. like, anthropomorphized animals. Yeah, and there's, like, there's like some foreshadowing here Yeah, going total on. foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Elphaba wants to focus on animal rights, but uh, everyone else at Chiz just wants to have fun and party. Um, college. Especially, it's college! Woo! No parents! <laughs> no parents! Lots of magic! Woo! <laughs> 
um, <laughs> especially Sweeney newcomer, newcomer Prince Fierro. Ooh. Ooh, uh, Galinda hello. wants to impress Fiero with how cool and popular she is, um, but she ends up defending Alphaba at a party instead of making fun of her along with everyone else. Um, Galinda and Alphaba start to develop a real friendship. Yay. Meanwhile, Fiero ends up being impressed by Alphaba's commitment to animal rights when they try to free a lion cub from an experiment to keep it like unable to speak. Oh, um, so, so they're yeah. trying to keep it as a lion. Yeah, so like instead of like you know her professor's a goat person, mm-hmm. like instead of like letting a lion like grow up and be able to talk and like have rights, they yeah. would just be like, well, it's just a lion in the cage, whatever. That's messed up. It's super messed up. Mm-hmm. Um, so Alphaba finds herself falling for Fiero, but doesn't think he'll ever be into her because she's a green weirdo. Right. Legit. Um, Alphaba and Galinda go to the Emerald City for an audience with the wizard, but they find out that the wizard has been the one behind the suppression of animal rights. What a jerk. Such a jerk. And Alphaba decides to cut her losses and like bust out with a new group of winged monkeys. That's you know if you're gonna bust out, yeah. Have she's a like, I accidentally monkeys, put monkeys monkey with you. put wings on these monkeys. They're now my they're mine. Now. They're mine. Let's roll, boys. Yeah, woo. <laughs> um, Galinda st- stays behind to be the good witch. Mm. Um, so months later, rumors fly as Alphaba as you know about Alphaba as the wicked witch. Like she's drinking baby blood and oh, no. and and. Just, Coming in your house things. at night. Oh, God. Hide your wife, hide your kids. Elvis <laughs> coming at you. And she's high on baby blood. She is. Um, Piero is the captain of the guard trying to find Alphaba as she is fighting for animal rights um, and basically being a domestic terrorist in Oz. You know, that's how it works. But like, girl, you got you got a point there. And yeah. the wizard is awful. And if animals can like think and talk, then yeah, like absolutely. Yeah. Oh, you should yeah. probably get a little more militant about your animal rights. Oh, for real. So Alphaba struggles to fight the wizard, figure out who she is, and deal with an annoying kid who blew in from Kansas Ah. uh while patching up her friendship with Galinda and returning Oz to peace. Um, So that's like a real short recap of the second act. I might say a tornado of a recap. Yeah. Whirlwind? Yeah, whirlwind. Just blowing right through. Yeah. Yeah. Ripping up those farmlands. Yeah, lots of of fun feelings. Lots of shout outs to the Wizard of Oz. Mm -hmm. Um, Lots of good friendship vibes yeah inside joke inside joke inside joke but also welcoming fun reference yeah well i mean the wizard of oz is such a cultural touchstone like yeah. you don't it's not like you need to have like read the original novel and right. know the differences between that and the movie with judy garland and then have also seen the whiz yeah and... you've got like the received wisdom you need to appreciate exactly mm. wisdom oh the wisdom of oz yeah. oh i get it now yeah no it probably stands for wizard doesn't it well, I was making a pun. Oh no, I know. Okay, I know. But I went down a I went down a yellow brick road of bad of confusion. Thought. And yes, you went down that red brick road that they have in the movie. Oh yeah, and you're and like, where's po- that going? And into the poppy field. And, yeah. yeah. Oh, nap time. Oh, sleepy time. <laughs> nah, we got so much more to talk about exactly. because you've got to tell me about the characters. Yes. Um, so obviously we have Alphaba, the, aka the Wicked Witch of the West. Um, she's a girl with a lot of magic and a lot of passion and no snakes left to give. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I just wanted to be known that in the show notes, Annie has written the word asterisks, snakes, asterisks. <laughs> yeah. So she just steered real hard into like, that, everybody. How do I say that without swearing? And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to snakes it out i'm not gonna lie i sort of got excited about you saying a lot of passion and no snakes left to give <laughs> i would have accepted that oh maybe i should go back and say that no no it's uh, what's done is done no, and we'll, well, also i would like um samuel L. jackson to snakes it that's true He'll i don't want to say there are no snakes left to give because then we would not have to snake anything it's also not accurate we're not in ireland that's there's, true there's plenty of snakes around oh unfortunately yeah um so alpha Bo was originally played by again adina Mazel. Um, there's Galinda, a.k.a. Galinda, Galinda the Good. Um, she's a girl who's used to doing what's expected and what people want and maybe not getting happy for it. Um, she is, was originally played by Kristen Chenoweth. In, like, perfect casting. Oh, yeah. Like, actually, I feel like the whole original cast was just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, there's Fiero, who's uh, Swoony McHeartthrob, who realizes there's more to life than partying and not rocking the boat, and maybe you could use your brain every so often. Oh, brain. Hi, oh, oh, watch out for that one. Um, there's the wizard, a.k.a. the Wizard of Oz, also a giant sketch fest, although that's not really a huge surprise. Yeah, we all saw that one coming. 
I think he was played by Joel Gray in the oh, interesting. original cast. When yeah. you want to play, when you want a, a, a compelling, charismatic yep. sketch fest, yeah, right. You get Joel Gray, exactly. Like uh, who's um, just yeah, a real distinct person. Yeah, very much so. Um, but he does a great job here. Uh, there's Nessa Rose, Alphabet's sister, a.k.a. the Wicked Witch of the East. She wants to fit in and feel loved without understanding that people may have other needs mm. and not feel the same. Not always want to not just always, love her all the yeah, time. Just not maybe not obsess over someone. Well, you know what Girl, they say about he's just not that into East you. Witches. That's get, how... sti- get stitches? Oh, man. <laughs> I mean... If stitches are a form of medical recovery when a house lands yeah, on you. Yeah, probably. Yeah. That's I'm, it. I'm sure. <laughs> um, there's Bach, a munchkin guy who Nessa Rose loves, but who doesn't love her back like that. And yeah, that, that doesn't Aww, work out well. bummer. Um, there's Madame Morrible, the headmistress of Shiz and a woman with questionable with a questionable academic philosophy. Mm-hmm. And um, Dr. Dillamond, a professor who gets harmed by the wizard's actions against animals. Yeah. He basically loses his ability to to speak and rationalize like a human. Oh, no. I know. It's real sad. Man, the uh, the writers really went to the anagram fa- or the uh, alliteration factory on this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the wordplay is real fun here. Yeah. Like and they guess- just have a lot of fun kind of. Making weird little turns of phrase and, and, you know. And I'm sure some of that ports over from the Oz books, which I have not read, but I know that I suspect that it's in the conventions there too, because it's in the book as well, the Gregory Maguire book. Is I can't remember. It's it's not great, but it's a lot of like grimdark stuff, but then these really weird cute names. Yeah. It's like, hold on a second. (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, you gotta balance it out somehow. Exactly. It was either that or everybody's kittens. Aw. I would have read that one. I know, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, some themes from Wicked, um, who lives, who dies, who tells your story, Aww. much like a reason majorly successful Broadway musical, um, Wicked looks at the stories we tell and heroes and villains and questions about who gets to decide, uh, who gets to tell these stories and whose voices are missing. Mm-hmm. Um, good and evil is a big theme. Um, this one is like brought up in the text a lot. Yeah. Like, um, no good deed goes unpunished is a song. Um, <laughs> When you want to put it front and center. Yeah, but yeah, like, it's, it, that's a big, again, like a literal theme of the show. And it's something the characters are legitimately reckoning yes. with, too. It's not just like the writers being like, now it's time to talk about my metaphor. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, the characters question what it means to be good or evil and who gets to judge what it means to be good or evil. Um, and also retelling and reframing is big here. Wicked obviously is using The Wizard of Oz as a source of retelling to re-examine power dynamics and storytelling. Um, we're used to thinking of The Wicked Witch just as straight up Wicked, but the musical lets us see more of what was, you know, quote, actually going on that brought her to these actions. Mm-hmm. What's that thing of like, nobody thinks that they're the bad guy? Yeah, there's, I think it's a Mary Shelley quote. I think so. Where it's like, the villain, like the villains don't think they're evil, they're just like searching out what they think is love or something mm-hmm. it's a real good quote yeah it's way better than i, I think I you caught the spirit yeah of it. sure mary shelley and i were the same <laughs> exactly the same i've always said that yep um things i like and then think other people will like um one it's just a real fun big catchy musical like try not singing along or making emotive hand gestures when listening to defying gravity hey it's it's impossible it is so I can impossible speak from experience yeah. and from experience watching you experience oh, it so many emotive hand gestures Mm-hmm. Um, it's also a fun, smart retelling. Like, if you like The Wizard of Oz, this is a great spin that explores some uh, larger issues than mm-hmm. in the or- original, or at least the original movie. Yeah. Um, also, and there's a romance here, but the show largely centers around a female friendship, which is really refreshing. It also means that we have a story about two female main characters, which is sadly still rare in musical theater. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, ladies doing the ladies. Yeah, absolutely. It, well, I mean, ladies being well, friends well, with yeah, the ladies. Hold on. <laughs> the fan fiction is ladies doing the ladies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, going to Tumblr for all of that. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Um, and it's also, I mean, so I have not actually seen the musical stage. We could go I'm, see it sometime. We absolutely could. I would not be adverse to that um, but because I'm a bad theater person. But I know that so much of the staging of the show is about the spectacle of oh, it. Totally. But in a way that I think is fun for people who don't go to theater a lot to like get reminded of just how much you can do in a theater I like mean, having a big dragon clock over the proscenium oh, and yeah. like and all the cool things you can accomplish frankly even if I go to theater probably more than most people mm-hmm. considering I'm married to a playwright I still love the big splashy oh, fun yeah. stuff it's like when you you say oh I do I want like you know this really like hearty salad that's going to be so nourishing I never and want like, that 
Well, I sometimes I do. I'm like, oh, yeah, I really need like veggies okay. and I want like really cool tastes and textures. But then I'm also like, well, I would like a unicorn cake. And mm. I know that the unicorn cake isn't going to like sustain me. I mm-hmm. should probably not eat the Only unicorn. eat unicorn Yeah, cake. exactly. But it's like, I also love unicorn cake. Yeah, that's I'm not going to have to choose between them. Yep. And they know what they're about. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, like Wicked, I, I I don't know. I mean, I've heard that there's some snobbery toward Oh, there's Wicked. absolutely Wicked, anti-Wicked snobbery. At least in my circles, we all embrace Wicked. Oh yeah, no, it's, I think it's something that people like to classify as a guilty pleasure, but that's why, dumb why because guilty be pleasures aren't a thing. Yeah, right? Just it's like just what you fun. like. It's yeah. good fun. And also, Megan, two main female characters. So let's not be snobs about that. Yeah, and I think as a as a playwright who often falls on the hearty salad side of the line, <laughs> I think like anything that gets people excited about going to the theater is a win. Yeah, right. Like you know, if somebody goes out, like if like my parents still talk about going to see Wicked, and oh like, yeah, if you can go out to the theater and spend an evening and come back home raving about it and continue to rave for years, like that's an experience that will get you back into a theater. Yeah. Also, I want to say one time um, I had seen Wicked previously with friends and it was Mm -hmm. great. And I told my parents, I'm like, we have to go. Like, you have to see this because it's so much fun. And I went with my family to New York and we were going to to see Wicked. And we found out that we had like been given like in a mix up the wrong tickets. It was like for the wrong day. And so we were like, oh, my God, what do we do? But the theater, the the theater management people were so nice and they like put extra seats in like you know toward the back so we could like still see the show even though they could have just been like these are yeah like these are not real tickets oh that's hardly wicked at all no it was it was very unwicked Mm -hmm. um so yeah like the wicked team you guys are awesome absolutely anyway um also speaking of awesome groups of people yeah that's um good segue i like yeah. it i like it uh, do you want to tell us about the big lebowski yeah uh let's go talk about the big lebowski um because if there's one thing the internet needs more of it's white dudes talking about the big lebowski yep <laughs> thank goodness uh-huh. um uh the big lebowski is a 1998 pseudo satiric stoner noir crime comedy romp uh, made by the coen brothers um it was their follow-up to the critically acclaimed and Oscar nominated Fargo Um, and in making The Big Lebowski their follow-up it was really the Coen brothers kind of cementing once and for all their status as filmmakers who are pretty much just going to do whatever they want whenever they want and not really care about chasing any kind of critical dragon or anything. Um, It mostly got overlooked by critics and audiences both. Uh, It was more or less a flop in the theaters. Um, I think mostly because people wanted more Fargo from the Coen brothers and less weird dream sequences featuring a bowling Jeff Bridges fighting Saddam Hussein. Um, but uh, Legit. Yeah, I mean, you know, I can't really blame people. I remember, like, knowing that Fargo was a thing and then reading the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette review of The Big Lebowski when it mm. came out, which it basically amounted to the critic shrugging his shoulders and going, what? I feel like that that's actually, like, a, the example. They have two films, and they have a Fargo and they have a big Lebowski yeah, absolutely. and and like they make one or the other and it varies. Yeah. And they tend to bounce back and forth yeah. a little bit and they're, they're always great. But I think that the big Lebowski was a harder sell for people, a public who that was just getting to know the Coen yeah. brothers. Um, but it certainly, you know, staked out their claim. Um, it very quickly after disappearing from theaters, wormed its way in, into the American cult canon in a big way um, and now has whole conventions dedicated to it around the country. So, you know, it's doing fine. Um, Man. Basic synopsis, uh, the plot is both essential to this movie and also completely and utterly unnecessary. Um, It is a purposefully Byzantine, complicated, overly stuffed, uh, sort of picaresque journey through an L.A. noir style movie. I think I described it to Walt um, when we were talking about it this evening as that improv game where a bunch of characters party show quirks. up to party quirks. Yeah. And then the person has to guess who these are. And I feel like that's the movie. You yeah, just got a really bunch, a bunch of really talented people yeah. to wander in and out of this script. <laughs> but then with like meticulously crafted dialogue in each scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, 
That's yeah. Um, Jeff Bridges plays a chill guy named Jeffrey Lebowski who lives in Los Angeles and who everyone, himself included, simply refers to as the dude. Um, the dude spends his days hanging out, drinking white Russians and getting stoned and bowling with his buddies Donnie and Walter in their local league. Uh, his idyllic peace is shattered, however, by the arrival of two thugs who beat him up and pee on his carpet because it turns out they've been sent to extract a payment from one Jeffrey Lebowski, whose wife is in debt to a local porn mogul. Um, the dude does some research and realizes that there is, in fact, another Jeffrey Lebowski in L.A., and this one's a rich old miser living it up in the hills. So the dude goes to confront him and get the money to replace his rug, because it really tied the room together. Uh, but in doing so, he gets recruited by the Big Lebowski to pay off a group of thugs who have now kidnapped Big Lebowski's wife. Bunny. But Jeff Bridges is not a small man. No. So who is... Big status-wise. But like... And money-wise. Yeah. You know, money talks in a noir movie. Yeah, but he's a tall guy. Yeah, but he slouches a lot, too. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) He's not as big as the big Lebowski. Um, The payoff gets botched, uh, mostly due to Walter's involvement, um, which... It kind of, kind of becomes a running theme in the movie that Walter gets involved in things and they immediately go wrong. Uh, and in trying to rectify the situation, the dude gradually finds himself sliding into a dark and twisted world of money, sex, double crosses, and embezzlement. Throughout it all, he maintains his calm and put-upon composure and tries to keep it steady even when the power players around him become more and more convinced that he is a threat to them and must be either co-opted or eliminated. Um, in the end of the movie, lives are lost, toes are severed, German nihilists eat pancakes, and the dude cracks the case, but at great cost, especially to his car, which spends most of the movie getting gradually destroyed. Um the characters, like Yanni, you alluded to earlier, are really the heart and soul of the movie. Yeah. Um, it is very much in the performances and in the scenes between these fascinating individuals. I think if there's one thing the Coen brothers do better than anyone, it's casting, especially like little throwaway side characters. I think they know they know just when to use a star and and how to use a star and then when to, when to use a weird looking actor that you've never heard of and never will again they they're very invested in finding the right presence yeah. for their roles yeah. like and, and for again, the world that they're making yeah and sometimes that's a real famous person but a lot of times it's these great character actors yeah who just sort of pop in and yeah. do an amazing role and then pop out yeah um, so the characters in this one, uh, I started listing them and it just kept going. So these are the highlights. Um, the dude, uh, Jeff Bridges giving, I think one of the best comic performances of the last couple decades. Um, it's just, that's just your opinion, man. Yes. <laughs> you did it. Yep. Yes. It happened. <laughs> I've been having a great day of Annie finally coming around to like things that I like. I, I mean, the big Lebowski's fine. I yeah. saw it. And like, I think I was expecting it to be like a real laugh riot. No, we'll, and I we'll talk like, about that later, yeah. too. It's it, Yeah, it's a slow But burn. anyway, I sure know how to make a reference. It's true. That is for sure. This is like the first time you referenced The Simpsons when we were hanging out. True. But you know, yeah. like, The Big Lebowski isn't like... No, it's not yes. on that level. Yeah. I like The Big Lebowski a lot. But, but like, um, it wasn't like your childhood touchstone. No. Although now I'm really mad at The Simpsons. Well, yeah, but that's another conversation. We'll talk about that later. Um, The Coens uh, wrote the part of the dude with Jeff Bridges in mind and based the character off of a real person in L.A., this sort of like mythic figure who was in their uh, like friend of a friend's circle. I think he was like somebody's landlord or something. Um, Next up is Walter Sobchak, played by John Goodman, also giving an amazing comic performance. Uh, Walter is the dude's volatile Vietnam vet friend who really just cares about the rules and wants people to follow them even when it makes him so mad that he, say, pulls a gun on a bowling league rival uh, because he stepped over the line. Um, There's Donnie, played by Steve Buscemi, uh, the put-upon third member of the dude in Walter's bowling team who spends most of the movie getting told to shut up by Walter. Uh, There is Jeffrey, the big Lebowski, played by David Huddleston. Um, He is like every rich and evil mogul in every L.A. noir movie ever made. He's just a perfect archetypical figure, Uh, both really powerful and scary and funny and really pathetic at the same time. 
Um, there's his daughter, Maud Lebowski, played by Julianne Moore, um, his adult daughter, as everyone constantly reminds the dude. Um, he, she is the Big Lebowski's daughter. She is direct, no nonsense, and she's on the prowl. And Julianne Moore sort of turns her into a very fun spin on the kind of femme fatale trope yeah. in these movies um, because she's this sort of wacky artist who's also very... Um, malevolent on the sidelines um there's bunny lebowski played by tara reed in a shockingly good performance that, that from tara reed. yeah um again the cohen brothers nailed the casting yeah um she is the big lebowski's wife she's mostly on the periphery of the story um but we you know she pops in and out uh and causes complications and may or may not be up to no good there is Brant, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, um, dearly departed, making the most out of a tiny, tiny role. Um, he is the Big Lebowski's manservant. Um, he is, again, put upon. That's an adjective that I feel like gets used a lot in this movie, uh, but he yeah. is really making the most of it. Uh, there's also Jackie Treehorn, played by Ben Gazzara. He's a local porn mogul and notepad doodler. There's Knox Harrington, played by David Thewlis, who I only put into this cast list because I saw that he was played by David Thewlis and hadn't realized that until tonight. Um, he's the video artist. And Lupin from Harry Potter. Yeah, In exactly. case that name doesn't ring a bell. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. I got really excited and started shouting his name, and then Annie was like, oh, who? So yeah, then, right. But then I said Lupin, and she got excited. Yeah. So... Thank you for helping everybody get as excited as me. Woohoo! Harry Potter. Yay! Applies to everything. Um, there is the Germans, played by Peter Stormare, uh, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, weirdly enough, and Torsten Vorgas. Um, they are nihilists. They believe in nothing. Uh, there's Jesus Quintana, played by John Turturro. He is like the nemesis bowling figure. There's apparently a whole plot line involving Jesus and the bowling championship that the Goan Brothers just wound up leaving on the Aww. cutting room floor. But what they left is delightful. Um, and then lastly, the whole movie is narrated by The Stranger, played by Sam Elliott, sitting at the bowling alley bar and drinking oat sodas. Um, he is basically how I imagine Sam Elliott is every day of his life, just Aww. sitting at home narrating things. Um, yeah. Just bird goes by. Bird goes by. Bird comes back. <laughs> Putting out bird seed for the bird. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Elliott sits at home alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, Sam Elliott! I know it's it's if, sad when you really you listen to like it too much. Go to coffee much. sometime. We'll get a coffee Absolutely. with you, Sam. Reach out, please, if you're feeling lonely. Yeah, <laughs> we'll let you narrate our lives. They're very exciting. Yes. Tonight, Bodo tore up his hedgehog toy. Well, not entirely. Yeah, that's partially. for another night. <laughs> <laughs> he did hold the hedgehog in his mouth on the chair for like fifteen minutes. It's true. It was pretty epic. Um, themes and fun stuff of the Big Lebowski. Um, my favorite thing about this movie it is it is essentially a classic. LA film noir um, except that they like used the lasso tool in Photoshop to remove the hard-boiled detective protagonist from every scene and then replace him with an avable stoner played by Jeff Bridges. Um, everyone in the movie treats the dude like a very savvy player in this kind of grand chess game that they're playing and all of the scenes play out like scene like beats in a detective story but Really, all that he wants is his rug back and to not be involved in this at all. So it becomes this really lovely narrative tension. There's even like a scene where he meets another uh, gumshoe who is like following him because he's trying to get at a different case. Um, and so there's a lovely bit of commentary on sort of what we expect when we see these detective films. Um, the first Gulf War is thematically linked somehow. Um, it pops up in the beginning of the movie. The movie is set during the first Gulf War. Saddam Hussein pops up in a bunch of the dream sequences. I'm sure there's a bunch of essays about it online. I oh, haven't puzzled yeah. out the connection yet. Yeah, I'm sure it's something about America and politics. Yeah. American and, dream and yeah. all of that. It plays a little bit into one of the closest running themes I can find, which is the importance of having an ethos. Um, you know, um, the Also, um, violence yeah perpetuating violence cycles of violence yeah, yeah and like kind of like endless violence yeah fringes of society kind of thing yeah. to people being pushed out to the edges yeah um the powerless rising up against the powerful but not really succeeding at it um but mostly it is a movie about the joy of a really good shaggy dog story um you i think i had i had this experience with every coen brothers movie but i had it most acutely with the big lebowski which is i I watched them the first time and I think, oh, okay. And it was a movie. Like, that was a movie. And then every time I watch it after that, 
I appreciate it more and more and more. And I think The Big Lebowski is like the epitome of that, where you watch it and I think you watch it expecting this plot to go somewhere and develop. Mm -hmm. And then once that expectation gets blown up, you can go back to it if you want. And I'm saying I'm not saying you have to. I would never make someone watch. Not saying watch you have to, Annie. Annie. Uh, I was getting a skeptical look across the table. Yeah. But no, I mean, I would never insist that somebody watch a movie more than once if they didn't like it the first time. Oh, sure. But I think that this movie, more than almost any other movie I've ever seen, rewards repeat viewings because you start to notice little grace notes and little jokes within jokes and the craft that is at work, even in this ostensibly meaningless story. Um, so yeah, I think it's like a fun look at just the power of a compellingly told story, even if the story doesn't ultimately wind up anywhere. Um, yeah, it's the destination, man. That's not a quote. I no. just threw the word man in at the end because yeah, it felt right? like something the dude would say. Yeah, because um, it's a movie about bowling. Mm -hmm. you, um, you know, you got the ball back. All the time. It takes a, yeah. a trip down the lane. And then it comes back to you. That's true. It's very cyclical. Yeah. That's deep. I'm so deep. You've thought a lot about this movie, Annie. I've thought a lot about this crossover. Hey, let's yes. talk about this crossover. Yes. Um, so yeah, thematically... Um, I feel like the kind of retelling aspect, actually, even yeah. though uh, the Big Lebowski isn't a specific retelling, like it's certainly again playing with that um, like perspective that of the noir. storyteller. Yeah, and like who who gets to be the hero of a story. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, Wicked, we're taking a look at what if the villain had their story told. Yeah. Big Lebowski, it's like, what if the stoner had their stories Finally, told? at long Thank last. Thank God. Well, no, and there's like an idea of lensing as well, yeah. where I think even even with Wicked being an adaptation of a very grim book, but turning it into a very like positive story yeah. while still looking at the same kind of protagonist. And I think the Big Lebowski is like looking at this very um, low stakes existence through the lens of a like really high stakes ramped up yeah. noir kind of thing. Um, I think Friends is oh, a major yeah. theme, like, like the dude you, and Walter and Alphaba and And you might Galinda. not get along all the time. Oh, yeah. You um, might have deep disagreements. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you're there for each other. Yeah, and you're still going to go to In-N-Out Burger afterwards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and um, magic. Magic. Woo! Yeah. Trippy stuff. Trippy, trippy sequences. Yeah. I think we can definitely talk about 100%. some trippy sequences. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's all the theme, the theme crossover yeah. we need. Um, so how does this happen? Annie, help. So um, how do we bring LA, 90s LA into, into Oz? Oz. Um, I mean, is it just like 90s LA is like a neighborhood like Munchkin Land? It could be. Uh, there could be an earthquake involved. True. Big old earthquakes. Yeah. You know, and, and, and then and we've seen that. Uh, the tornadoes just yeah. tossing houses. Geological and weather related disasters seem to be immediate gateways or electroshock therapy if you watch Return to Oz, but no one should watch Return to Oz. Um, um. Well, I loved it as a kid. Really? Oh yeah, I loved really weird, scared, scary yeah. movies as a kid. Man, that movie messed me up, and I watched it in college. Well, I think because I was little and didn't really know any better. That's fair. And like, I I, I knew things would be okay, and yeah. I had to like leave the room, and the lady took off her head. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I was fine. Nice. Well, we'll touch on it later. Yeah. But in the meantime, um, so yeah, I could say an earthquake sends L.A. back. Um, or alternately, uh, there's also, I mean, the Big Lebowski has these big, elaborate, lavish dream sequences, these sort of Busby yeah. Berkeley, you know, combination drug trip yeah. slash head trauma. Yeah. And are those... Is it like the, World's Crossing? Yeah. Is it the dude like opening up a gateway? Yeah. Of a kind? I can see that. Can he do magic? Maybe. And He's he, a latent magic user. He... Like, does so much pot that, like, he doesn't know the difference. Yeah, right. He can't tell. He's just like, like what's well, magic? that was just a trip. And, yeah. like, but it's like, no, you actually do dove into a real weird crossover universe. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I think, like, even there's the scene where his landlord does, like, the interpretive dance to, like, uh, Rite of Spring, I think mm -hmm. it is. And, like, it's very nature related mm -hmm. and everything. Maybe his landlord's actually a satyr. Yeah, right. Has, and like, he just doesn't over. notice. Yeah. He's like, yeah, sure. Yeah. So it's like all of a He's sudden. Wearing weird pants yeah and then so i think so he shows up in la yeah. or in in oz i think maybe he well, brings some friends with him yeah or... i well see i'm thinking that um some of the big lebowski people are already there oh like, maybe you know how the wizard of oz has a real big head uh-huh 
maybe he is the big Lebowski. The Heck, biggest Lebowski the of them biggest all. Lebowski. Oh man. Yeah, because he's powerful. He's the man behind the curtain. Yeah, he's the Superman behind the curtain. Yeah. So it's really like like two worlds coexisting at once. Yeah. And it's just about it's again lensing and yeah. the filter of how he's viewing it. Yeah. I like this a lot. Yeah. So um. So yeah, I think um, the wizard, the the Wiz Lebowski. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, There's our title right there. Yep. Um, his um, wife has gone missing. Right. Um, and he blames um, Elphaba. Yeah, absolutely, because she's this big evil figure. Yeah, so he hires um, the dude to go after her. Yeah, and he's got to chase this down. And I think, like, the German nihilists are probably involved a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. Like, you they know, seem like, you know, the... the um, Oh gosh, but those are the wicked witches soldiers. Yeah, the, I, I think they would say the or, like the Oreos, the Oreos, the uh, flying monkeys. Oreo. Oh yo, <laughs> yeah, I think they're like the foot soldiers because yeah. they're so disillusioned that she's able to get them like motivated about violence and about or not about or, or about like fighting back. Yeah, not violence. Uh, like anarchy. Yeah, anarchy. Yeah, I think they want to tear down the system a little yeah. bit. Yeah, um, and I think that you know, so the dude is in this magical world and I think he runs afoul of some of Afalba's troops or her because he keeps talking about how he hates the eagles and they're like animal racist he doesn't like eagles doesn't like the eagles but they don't know that um there's a like whole the scene football in, team no the band oh there you in go in the cab and so he's talking about how much he hates the eagles and they're like oh, he's one of them he yeah. wants to keep down yeah. the eagle people yeah and yeah. then the eagle people are like ah oh, offended yeah. <laughs> you know, keep us down <laughs> Nothing keeps us down. Yeah. We soar above it all. Yay. Eagle people. Later, Gandalf. Yeah. <laughs> Not doing anything for you anymore, nope. jerk. <laughs> Whatever. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, Alphaba's on the run. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think she kidnapped um, Bunny. No, I don't think so. I think maybe Bunny fled into Oz as a whole because she's trying to get away. Yeah, right? right. She's like, I can't be married to this loser anymore. Yeah. And it's like, there's a question of like, is she trying to extort money from the big Lebowski and say that she's being ransomed? Uh, and then he uses it as an excuse to um, ostensibly lose a bunch of money. That he has embezzled into from yeah. his program, so like they're both double crossing each other. Yeah. So like, does she flee into Oz proper to try to like scam one of the villages or something? Yeah, um, and maybe she um, she's gonna pose as a good witch. Yeah, maybe she's like taking. Maybe so she shows up and she doesn't have anything, but she takes advantage of Galinda's kindness. Yeah, and like she's like, oh my god, I'm down on my luck. And she, you I need know, all this and she's help. like sorority girl style. Exactly. She's like, oh. Oh my god, I love your hair. You're so pretty. Oh my pretty. gosh. Yeah. Oh my god. Me, I just I lost my wallet. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I think then she gets elevated up and she either steals some power or mm-hmm. learns some power or something. And so yeah, she becomes one of the good witches. Yeah. Oh yeah. Supposed good witches. Supposed witch. quote unquote. Yeah. Um, does she drop the house on East uh, Witch? Maybe, yeah. You know? Um She needs to bump her off. She's the next in and, line. You know, maybe um maybe yeah, maybe Nessa Rose you know she she's made real bad decisions mm-hmm. um but maybe at that point she found out that bunny was not a good witch yeah and she was gonna um kind of alert people yeah absolutely. and then bunny was like oh no i had to take her out she was a wicked witch she was so bad she was so bad you yeah. know how bad she was mm-hmm. she turned her boyfriend into a tin man oh no awkward i know that's really awkward when that happens yeah right um but yeah and i think that like meanwhile Maud is viewing all of this as just a big conceptual art project yeah, well, also, so um, Elphaba finds out that the wizard is her dad. Oh, yeah. So now Elphaba and Maud, they're sisters. That's right. They're half-sisters. Yeah, and they're both mad. Yeah, they're mad. And they take charge. And I think Maud sort of helps to groom Elphaba's anger a little bit. Elphaba. Elphaba, excuse me. That's okay. <laughs> I'm messing up. No, it's Elphaba. okay. Uh, yeah, that she like sort of, sort of grooms Elphaba. A little bit and like yeah. shows her how to like be a power player. Yeah. Like you and can't to, like, just be harness, angry. Harness her anger. Yeah. And like there's a little bit of a balance because I think Maud is too much embedded in this societal yeah. mess. But Elphaba needs to learn a little bit more control and Maud needs to learn to like let go a little bit more. Yeah. And be a little more outsidery. Yeah. They're not um, just an outsider art. Well, no, and like maybe um, go for action more than just artistic representation. Yeah, like absolutely. you need to, you need to 
put your, your art where your mouth is. Oh, my put God. Your, put your money where your art is. And, you need to let your heart and, jump out your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> That's the saying. That's what it is. Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> oh, oh, no, it's happening again. <laughs> it's gross, but it works. It does. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think Donnie needs a friend. Donnie um, has a rough time. And oh, wait, what are, what are Walter and Donnie up to? I think they fall in with the lion and the tin man and the scarecrow. Yeah, well, so I think Donnie and Bach are like two peas in a pod. Yeah. They're both real awkward goobers. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're the the third wheel. Oh, um, the whole time. Yeah, but like I think they'd be buddies. Yeah, they would. Um, um, and but you know, Walter is real aggressive. He's a very aggressive man. I don't think um, I don't think Fiero would be into him. Maybe he's the one who scares the lion. Oh. He makes him makes him cowardly. Well, yeah, he just shouts yeah. at him. Oh, because you know what? That was the lion cub. Yeah, no, I figured. Yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> what? I know. <laughs> I thought maybe you didn't remember. No, it's Chekhov's lion. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, Chekhov had a lion. It was weird. Yeah, he kept oh. a whole menagerie oh. in, on his Russian estate. Wow, and just let him loose. Just let him loose. <laughs> That was, that was what the true method was. Yep. Act or my lions will eat you. That was literally that movie. Roar. Oh, yeah. The uh, roar. Yeah, yeah. There it is. It was very method. Yeah. <laughs> real Russian. Chekhov was a, was a shadow investor on that exactly. one. Exactly. In, in his final days. Um, but yeah, so I think Walter is kind of a loose cannon running around Oz. Yeah. Um, I think he probably falls in with the Aussie troops. The Aussies. The Aussies. Aww. <laughs> Just throwing um, some shrimp on a Barbie. Exactly. Um, um, you know what? I feel like actually maybe he and Nessa Rose get together. Uh, because like Nessa Rose is kind of intense. Yeah, and he's very intense. Is he? Walter? Oh, the dude. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, the dude. No. Oh, no. no. See what I'm saying? The dude maybe needs um, some, like, who's like, oh. he's like, hey, girl, you just got to chill out. Yeah, that's true. And she's like, Oh, okay. I just like yeah. I need to drink a ri- white Russian and just hang and out. Just hang out under this house. Oh yeah. no, no, bunny, no. Oh no, bunny. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, but I think Walter winds up in the military for Oz. Oh yeah, he's very like fish fascistic. Like, yeah, that's the that that's his side of things. Yeah, yeah. I, like on the um on the wizard side. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's like an enforcer. Yeah. For the oh no. Star. It's, it's it gets bad. Pitting buddies against each other. Although I don't know because he doesn't. He is so even oh, very over the line in defense of the dude. Yeah. I think he hangs. He stays with the dude. Well, maybe he he is on the wizard side at first. Oh yeah, and then the dude gets to convince him that he's like, no man, that's the man. That's the man, man. You, you don't want to be the man. You don't want to be the man. You're keeping the man is going to keep you down. Yeah, absolutely. We need to go on this chick side. Mm-hmm. She's stirring some stuff up. Yeah, and and then we're gonna take it easy, but not like that Eagles song because I hate the Eagles. And then the Eagles and men attack again. <laughs> oh God, it's happening. Um. Yeah. Well. That's pretty thorough. This is a pretty extensive crossover. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we're really hitting all of the things. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've we've touched on all of the major characters that I can tell. Um, I feel like I have a fairly deep and varied mythology about them now. Yeah. I feel like we need um We need a climax. Like what yeah. is what is the, the crux that of Alphaba and the dude? Like um, like what is the so he needs to go find her because he Because he, he supposedly she took bunny mm-hmm. which is not the case no um so i think he does find alphaba uh-huh. and she is able to convince him that um you know she doesn't have bunny she's in right. it for the animals that's true um and and that point Maud is on her side right um and so he gets some righteous fury yeah and like um, they find out that Bunny dropped a house on Nessa Rose. That's his, right. His girlfriend. Yeah. Sorry, girl, you just got bridged. She really, she really tied the town together. Mm-hmm. It's like the rug ties the room oh, together. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, it was sure. a bit of a, okay. it was a bit of a reach. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we did fridge Nessa Rose a little bit. Yeah, but she, she I mean, she was going to get hit by a house no matter. That's what. true. We were, we were steering into an already established plot point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So, so yeah, I think. Um, and maybe at that point, they realize they need to stop Bunny and yeah. the and the big the the Wiz Lebowski. Yeah, maybe because. Bunny winds up pulling the big strings. Yeah, by the end of it, I think yeah. she works her way up a little bit. Oh, totally. Like she works her way through the ranks and then gets rid of the big Lebowski because she's she doesn't want him around anyway. Oh, totally. I think she and Brant, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. 
Oh, yeah. She and Brant betray the Big Lebowski together. Yeah. Um, um, then the sycophants rise up. Yeah. And, and then, like, the yeah, the Aussians all get together and mm-hmm. fight so, Tara yeah, Reid. <laughs> just as was foretold. Yeah. Um, so where does Galinda fit into all of this? So I think um, I think she is, you know, hanging out with, um, with Bunny for a while. Because yeah. she's like, okay, well, They're my friend friends. went off the rails. Um, like this chick seems normal. Uh-huh. Um, Galinda's not the best judge of character. No, that is true. Um, and uh, you know she she has to like f- realize that you know things are going over the edge. Maybe just like Walter, she and Walter. Oh, maybe that's it. They like, wind up yeah, together. There you go. Aww, yeah. that weirdly works for me. Yeah, I can kind of see that. Yeah, right. Yeah, they would be strangely happy together. I think. I think so. Yeah. Or kill each other. One of the two. Yeah. It would be intense no matter it what. It would be. It'd make for a great musical number. I know, right? <laughs> John Goodman and um, Kristen Chenoweth. I would pay so much money to watch oh, the totally. two of them do a musical like review. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I want that to happen so bad yep. now. Oh, got to write this musical now. I'm picturing it basically like then he becomes, um, uh, what's it like, um, what's his name in Monsters, Inc.? Uh, um, Scull- Sully? Scully. Sully. Sully, yeah. Uh, it's basically Sully meets Galinda. Yeah. And they're just like, da-da. Twirling around. Yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, oh, and then at the end, once they have triumphed, I think the dude just wants to go home. Yeah. Uh, and on his way, Alphaba and Galinda get together and they gift him a bright green emerald rug. Yeah. To tie his room together. Even more. With magic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I feel good about this. Yeah, right. This is pretty complete. Yeah, we did a we did. Hey, good job, us. Yeah. This writer's room is churning them out. Um, I like it a lot. Yeah. So um, so yeah, if people want to stay even longer in these worlds now that we have so expertly fused them together, uh-huh. um, what can they check out that's more like Wicked? Um, so for more big splashy adaptation musical fun, um, there's Les Misérables, based on Victor Hugo's novel about. The 1832 June Rebellion in Paris. Um, it's big and musical, theatery, and feelsy. Less silly than um, Wicked. Crosses over well with Wreck-It Ralph. Yes, which I will mention soon. Oh, I'm sorry about that. No, this is great. Um, so yeah, we've talked about this in yeah. conjunction with Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> um, there's The Phantom of the Opera, based on Gaston Leroux's novel about a musical creepy stalker, and I love it. <laughs> you know, Love Never Dies is playing in Boston right now. I know. Well, no, I think it left. Oh, did it? It's like the worst thing ever, yeah. apparently. Yeah. Which is not surprising, because no, well, it's they, like they... The, the musical ended. That was the end of the story. Right. There's really not a lot of places you can go. No. And apparently, I know someone who saw it, and they were like, did Andrew Lloyd Webber see his original musical? Like it just didn't make sense at all. Yeah, that's well. It's probably been, it's been about thirty years, and there's been a lot of coke between that then and I now, know, probably. Right? So I mean, I could have written like all of fanfiction.net could have written a better one. <laughs> and but did even, yeah, right. But even then, you don't need to anyway. Go see the original. Yes. Just ignore all the creepiness because it's so it's feelsy. Weird. Oh yeah. Like when I think be swept about, up in the feels. Yeah, when I think about the actual plot, I'm like, that's terrible. No. You should shoot him right in the face. They're unhealthy feels, and somehow sometimes that's okay. Yeah, sometimes so, you just want to ride you know, a magic carpet of right? unhealthy feels. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's Rent, based on the opera La Boheme, about artists living in New York City during the AIDS crisis. Um, this one is also great if you're in high school mm-hmm. or college. It's the um, perfect high school. It's perfect. Um, there's Into the Woods, which is a big old mashup of your favorite fairy tale characters, yeah. and a look at how things don't always go the way you planned. I feel like it's a very crossover appeal friendly musical. It is. It is crossover appeal the musical. Mm-hmm. Um, there's The Wiz, which is another Wizard of Oz musical ad- adaptation, uh, this time with an African American focus. Um, Nobody Bring Me No Bad News is like the original awesome Wicked Witch song. Yeah. I feel like that is. Maybe my top villain song of all time. Ooh, wow! Even better than Poor Unfortunate Souls. I would see that was that was it. I was like, yeah. which one is better? Ooh, but that like, is really hard. Yeah, because like the 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 whiz. Nobody bring me no bad news. Like it's so rollicking. Like it's a joyous yeah. song in a way. Yeah, but it's so evil. But it gets you on her. Like it's it's yeah. You're like it's I I want you to keep singing. Mm-hmm. It's so fantastic. Cool. Um, and the whole like I love the Wiz. Yeah. I think it's a fantastic musical. Um, 
So yeah, go look, watch that. Mm-hmm. Um, so for more from the villain's perspective, um, there's the original book, Wicked, The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West by Gregory Maguire. Um, it's a real, again, it's really different plot wise and much darker. So if you want like the Game of Thrones version of Wicked, go check out the book. Yeah. 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 I like, I, I feel like Gregory Maguire books are something that like on paper I l- should love, but yeah. just never quite hit me the right way. I think I went into Wicked expecting something very different than what I got. And so I, I'm, I think I came away liking it less than I would have if I had had the right expectations coming in. Because it's not like badly written or anything. No, and, and that's the thing. There's nothing there that I would be like, Annie wouldn't like this. Yeah. They're, they're, just, like a, they're just very discursive in a way. Like, like, yeah, I just, I don't feel like they hang together for me yeah. in the right way. It's like. It feels like a lot of incident. Yeah. And it's always like the grimmest, darkest incident you can think of. Which again, I wouldn't usually mind. Yeah. But I don't know. It's just like the glue isn't there for me. Yeah, she just spent a lot of time talking to a magical fish. I also don't mind that. Yeah. I've read books about magical fish. I got nothing against magical fish, I guess. What about um, Stephen, the magical fish? (gasps) On the Adventure Zone. Which I have a lot of feelings about now. Yay. So um, It's happening, everybody. It is happening. (laughs) Um, For, again, more villains, um, there's Mm -hmm. Grendel by John Gardner, about Mm -hmm. a monster at the center of the classic story of Beowulf. That one I can firmly behind. Which we have also crossed over. Mm -hmm. Beowulf, not Grendel. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, wait a second. (laughs) Um, There's Let the Right One In, a movie about Mm. a young boy who befriends a young girl who's also a vampire. Um, And I love this one because it's like a really thoughtful, genuine look at young friendship and love and loneliness while also being a very disturbing vampire movie yeah it really feels like an adolescent take on a scary supernatural situation yeah it's so immediate and so grounded to their experiences but it's also it's also very gentle in a way um yeah it manages the tone wonderfully it's perfect like there's one scene where um the vampire girl attacks a human and it's so visceral yeah but like it, you can tell it's also upsetting for her like she doesn't want to be this way yeah but she's literally starving yeah oh it's um, great so wonderful and finally of course wreck it ralph um about a video game villain who's struggling to be the hero of his own story Aww. and we have crossed this one over with lame is um so if my list of recommendations is real good for you like you, you go back and listen to that episode. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Wreck It Ralph still makes me cry. So good. Um, but hey, also so good is the Big Lebowski and stuff like it. Um, I feel like I've done a few of these recently where it's like the Big Lebowski is as much a movie about movies as yeah. as about other things. So it's hard. It was hard for me to think it's, of books and comics or plays that yeah, really because it's like you can say essence. if you like noir, but then it's just normal noir. Yeah, I mean, I think and even the the like detective fiction and noir that it references is so explicitly filmic. Um, so I think uh, my categories for recommendations are for the source material. Um, watch Chinatown if you don't pay for it because Roman Polanski is a skis bag. Um, but it is like the crystallized L.A. noir movie. Like it really codifies that style in a way. It pulls together all of the classic older L.A. noirs into like a singular vision and establishes a lot of the tropes that I think we now think about. Um, Another movie that does similarly is The Big Sleep, also a great book by Raymond Chandler. Um, The Big Sleep for me is the best indicator of what the Coen brothers are doing with like the twisty turny plot in the mystery. Um, There's even an anecdote about filming The Big Sleep where... Bogart and Bacall like could not figure out I think it was what happened to the butler like it's mm-hmm. he disappears oh, yeah. and they like couldn't figure it out and so they called Raymond Chandler and they like talked through and he was like oh oh yeah I don't know <laughs> it was like he'd completely forgotten about that right. plot line. like the plot was so intricately layered that you know some things some threads just don't go anywhere um but it still works um uh, also, The Long Goodbye is a similar novel uh, that I think works very well in that regard. Um, also, North by Northwest, the Hitchcock movie, um, very much has that spirit of a guy falling into a situation that's over his head and also has a pretty comedic tone to it. Um, there's a lot of things that are over the top and fun about it, and it's and Cary Grant is great in it. Just a wonderfully charming presence. As always. Yeah. Uh, more fun with tone and genre. Uh, my biggest recommendation of the night, I think, is Brick, um, the oh, yeah. Ryan Johnson movie that sort of brought Joseph Gordon-Levitt back into the 
limelight of America where he belongs. Um, it is a really straightforward and beat for beat, thorough LA noir style detective story set in a high school. Um, and it's all of these kids are high schoolers, but they're all playing into these tropes. And it sort of has a fun time looking at kids trying to be more adult than they are and getting in over their heads. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt's amazing in it. Um, there's Who Framed Roger Rabbit, oh. taking that noir styling and then throwing a bunch of animated characters into it. I feel like I uh, Roger Rabbit and The Big Lebowski are the closest proximity i can imagine yeah like they it's like a razor's edge about which one is which one yeah oh they're so good and really like i think the big uh, who framed roger rabbit is one of the best movies uh certainly mainstream movies about like systemic racism that i can like as far as like especially they try to do do it with a metaphor um the metaphor is incredibly consistent i guess i will say yeah like it actually tracks over and Um, isn't just like oh we should accept everybody but it's also like Here are the reasons that the society works. Yes. I think um, another movie that has animation that discusses kind of racism in the kind of L.A. setting, Uh um, the movie Cats Don't Dance. Oh, man. It's an animated movie from like the 90s or something. And it was like animals who want to be in movies, but they can only they're only cast as animals. Um, they can never play like lead roles. Aww. Um, and it's that really, really cool. It's so friggin' adorable. Nice. So yeah, if I you want, if you want like a real cute version. <laughs> <laughs> and the Ro- and Who Framed Roger Rabbit is also a real cute version, except for when Christopher Lloyd bugs his eyes out. Yeah, and, and is real creepy. Yeah, then things get weird. Um, there's also uh, the musical City of Angels, not the Nicolas Cage movie. Um, they're not the same story. Uh, it's just deeply, unfortunately named. Yeah, City of Angels is a really fun concept musical that it's incredibly hard to stage because it is about a screenwriter writing a noir detective movie, and half of the musical is set inside of the movie, but the movie's black and white. So half of the design for the whole musical has to be black and white, and half of the design has to be contemporary and in color um, and it's a very sort of fun satiric romp uh, looking at that and play, having fun with genre tropes and uh, yeah it's a good time if you ever get a chance to see it um, and for more Coen Brothers uh, like Annie was saying earlier they really jump wildly tone to tone and movie to movie but the ones that feel closest to uh, The Big Lebowski are Burn After Reading which is if you want a much more fatalistic and I think meaner take yeah uh, than the big lebowski the big lebowski likes its characters i don't think burn after reading does oh definitely not um and so if you're feeling a little harder edged burn after reading um, i have not yet seen hail caesar but i've heard that it matches some of the zany tone literally only watched the um the dance sequence which is pretty great which is the channing fan- yeah one. which yeah. is fantastic so i'm excited to watch hail caesar um there's oh brother where art thou which is them playing around in like the 1920s road crime movie and it's very fun and- and I get like an adaptation of yeah, the, Odyssey. the Odyssey. I feel like that one for me works the best of their like quote comedies. It's the gentlest. For yeah, sure. and it like again like it really embraces the characters. Yeah. Um, I it, feel like oh go ahead. It's like it's smartly written. It has all these wonderful character actors in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's a plot and a movement and a joy to it. Yeah, and I think I would put the Big Lebowski squarely between O Brother and Burn After Reading. Yeah, on a spectrum. Yeah, I feel like it's the compromise between the two of them. Uh, and then the movie that I think uh, surface level and philosophically feels closest to the Big Lebowski is Barton Fink, um, starring John Turturro, uh, which is just bonkers and weird and a little more uh, malevolent I think than The Big Lebowski but is also very much set in this kind of mythic LA and um, you know the city is as much of a character as anything else and my last recommendation is to watch The Big Lebowski but the network television edit because so much of the Coen Brothers writing especially in this movie is framed around the rhythm of expletives and the swearing and the language are so fun that watching a network television have to deal with that results in scenes like John Goodman beating up a car and shouting this is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps Um, it's some of the most creative overdubbing I've ever seen and like I really feel like they had to have a writing team sit down and puzzle out the most consistent ways to cover these expletives up 
Um, it's while great. also making a complete sentence. Yeah, exactly. While also being true and while also tipping their hat to the fact that if you're watching The Big Lebowski on network television, you know they're supposed to be swearing. Oh, totally. <laughs> um, it's like a fun game. Um, so yeah, I think uh, in, in the references link, we'll put the clip up to the Find a Stranger in the Alps sequence because it is the most egregious and most delightful um, of swearing overdubs I think I've ever seen. Um, unless um, you just snake things out. Unless you just put a snake in there. Yep. Uh, put some snakes on it. Yeah, yeah. that's delicious. Mmm, <laughs> tasty. <laughs> well, uh, Annie, before we, we snakes ourselves out of here, yep. um, where can people find more information, snake-related or otherwise? Um, people can find uh, usually not too much snake information. Yeah, we don't um, put, do a lot with snakes. No, um, but you can find all of our Crossover Appeal content, including show notes at crossoverappealpodcast.tumblr.com. Yeah, um, you can email us your thoughts about the further deepening mythology of the Big Lebowski Oz crossover because I feel like this is working for yeah, us. Yeah, right. Um, at or any um, online essays that you find comparing the two works because I'm sure there's at least one out there. Somebody's written their thesis about the Wizard of Oz and the Big I Lebowski. Hope so. Um, so email that to us at crossoverappealpodcast at gmail.com. Um, if you have any fan art about Kristen Chenoweth and John Goodman dancing yes, um, in Broadway style, um, share that at our Facebook page, which is Crossover Appeal Podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can tweet at us with uh, your song titles for what this crossover would involve because it has oh, to be yeah. a musical. Oh, of course. Um, so yeah, please tweet some uh, some song titles and who sings them to at crossover appeal um and most importantly you can subscribe to us on itunes and maybe rate and review because that would be really cool Mm -hmm. we like that even more than we like Kristen chenoweth and john goodman dancing around yeah right and that's a lot Mm -hmm. um but yeah i think that's gonna do it for us tonight um thank you all so much for coming and hanging out with us and playing in the land of oz um we'll be back in two weeks with another crazy crossover to have fun with and in the meantime this has been crossover appeal i'm walt mcgoff i'm annie cardi and we are reminding you to as always please ship responsibly 